avoid legal snaps by telling people they're being recorded. Hey, guys, you guys are being recorded. <laughs> it literally, that's the first time I've seen it. It just popped up on my Skype because I started the recording. Oh, yeah, especially because depending on what state you're in, it's illegal. Yeah, that's crazy. I was listening to a radio show and they were talking about, they were interviewing a kid. I guess he's like 20, 25 years old or whatever. And he's the one that recorded the phone conversation between Antonio Brown and John Gruden. And it got all these hits. I don't know if you remember that, but it got all these hits. And anyways, the dude started freaking out because Antonio Brown told him to put it up. But then it blew up on all these different sites, BuzzFeed, all this stuff. And they were all letting him know. You can't release that recording unless you get consent from John Gruden. Like Antonio Brown can say that's okay, but if you're recording a phone call with John Gruden, he has to give you consent too. So he freaked out. He finally, Brown texted Gruden, and then Gruden said, I love it. I love it. Go ahead. But he was like hella nervous for like a half an hour because he was worried that he was going to get into legal trouble. Yeah, got to check that stuff, man. All right, you guys ready to rock? Ready. Lorenzo Alexander, Sean O'Connell, and myself, Zachariah. And gentlemen, I don't know about you, but Sunday was a beautiful, beautiful day. I know we had a game Thursday, but right. Sunday, Sunday at about 9.58 a.m., I felt like a kid on Christmas Day. I was so juiced. And watching all the games, because I was worried I was going to get too excited for it, but watching all the games, I don't think the quality of either the football or the watching experience was really affected at all. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal, but... It's affected my baseball watching and my basketball watching more than it affected my football watching on Sunday. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that has to do with the way you traditionally broadcast football games. Anyway, you don't get like a lot of the fans in the background when you see the game. Only time you really see them is after a touchdown or like a field goal kick is when you really notice like, wow, there's not a lot of people in the stands. And so it's never really a focal point. But I will say number two, though, I think because you didn't play at that level, you know, I always got to <laughs> throw a little change on I noticed a lot of mistakes, guys not flowing, some tackling, especially when I went back and rewatched the game, just lack of communication. I think a lot of that just had to do with obviously being the first game but not having preseason games to work through some of those mishaps that come up when you have a chance to maybe step it up from practice to preseason. But going from practice straight to the league or to the NFL regular season game, especially for some of the young guys that I saw, and just some of the basic fundamental technique was a little sloppy, but it'll get better. Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between you two, right? I don't watch with the professional eye like Zoe does and probably not quite as critical of NFL performances. <laughs> but I don't know if I was just like full-on kid in a candy store like you were, Zachariah, because the viewing product really was good. And the Monday night product, we should talk about that too with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler calling a game, was fantastic. But yeah, there. I mean, look, it was the first game of the season. There's some guys that are newcomers on rosters that did not have a chance to play preseason football. So the adjustment to NFL game speed happened right in front of our eyes. And you could see that affected some of the rookies, some of the rookie offensive linemen. That was a problem for them. I thought the skill guys actually did relatively well, considering the lack of preparation that they had. But it was just like a nice little dose of normalcy because all you heard about for six months, right, COVID and adjusting to COVID and what are the protocols and what are we going through? And I guess we're desensitized to seeing people in masks. So it didn't seem that weird that coaches had masks on and things like that. But at the end of the day, we got football on Saturday, a pretty healthy slate of college football games on Sunday. 
you got the full regular season kickoff for the uh, NFL and then two Monday night games. And it just felt like, wow, we're back to a little bit of normalcy, at least on the football front. And it was nice. Yeah, I don't understand the whole coaches with the mask things. First of all, they're pulling them off their face constantly to yell at guys. And then the other thing was, I forget who the backup was, but there was a backup for the NFL team. And he was like, five rows deep into the stands. And I just don't understand. You got all these guys getting tested every day and they're smacking up against each other on the field. But then the backup QB has to be five rows up. I mean, a lot of the stuff, it doesn't really go together. It has to be public perception, right? And so you have leaders that are on the sideline. And they, even though I know what my status is, that I want to be a leader in the sense of, hey, I'm going to have a mask on anyway. And I actually know if I'm negative or positive, right? Just to kind of send a message. Because like you said, it doesn't make sense. And I think the 49ers defensive coordinator agrees with you because every time they went to the sideline <laughs> he had no mask on he was yelling hooping hollering even when he was sitting me mugging you know because arizona was doing a thing he still didn't have his mask on i saw andy reed his mask was fogging up like andy just take it off it just seemed, <laughs> especially like the glass the glass shield is what really is so funny <laughs> to me you see this like is it just reminds me of like bubble boy a little bit it's just it's a weird look <laughs> andy yeah. reed welder's mask on he's looking out for shrapnel fogging himself up looking like a beekeeper what was the name uh, of that uh what was the name of like viviana stivo or something it was the mistress for when donald sterling got his team removed or whatever and she did an interview and she had like this hat with this huge visor that basically covered her head that's what Andy reed looked like but yeah i mean other than that i mean i think you're right so i think the main reason why they're doing it is just so that the perception looks like they're being careful about it. And then I'm sure for the guys that, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to just not have everybody on the sideline, it's probably one part to make it look like they're taking it seriously. And then the other part is probably just better safe than sorry. Like, why not have him socially distancing if he's the backup and he's not playing? Correct. And uh, and he's there just in case something happens. And so you never want to put a guy, because I actually had a teammate in Buffalo shoot out a tweet, and he's an old lineman right now that's hurt. And he was upset because he couldn't be on the sideline. He's at practice every day. He's testing. And so he knows where he's at. But because of the protocols with COVID, they don't want, let's say it is an outbreak. They want to minimize it. But he was upset because he couldn't help. Like, hey, man, I'm seeing this out here by this lineman. You may want to try this technique. They're doing this. Every time they make this call, they're doing this. And so he just wanted to be a coach. But because of these protocols that seem silly because you know your status, he was very upset, but at the end of the day, it's all about trying to minimize the spread if something was to break out, and you just never know, and it's always come to be, you know, safe than sorry. We also had those moments, right, that, like, you knew it was a regular beginning to the NFL because there were kickers screwing things up for their teams, guys, <laughs> guys just not coming through. Gotkowski, oh, my God. What the and, hell happened to him? And the best part was when they cut to him, because I guess post, I watched some of the post-game interview, and he was like, yeah, all week, or like for the past couple of weeks, I've been kicking barefoot. So there was a moment after he had missed his third, I think. And this is a guy who, for like six of his seven seasons, hadn't missed more than three the entire year. He missed three in one game. And they cut to him on the sidelines, and there he is barefoot. Why would he – so maybe you can help me out there. Why would he be practicing all week barefoot if he's going to have to kick in the game with his cleats on? Yeah, I don't know. Kickers, and every kicker I've been around, have been – they're a little different and a little odd in that sense as far as their routine. You know, Billy Cundiff, Stephen Hoshka, Graham Gano, they all have their little quirks about what they need to do to feel the ball properly leading up to the game. And so obviously when your shoe is off, 
you feel the ball on your foot a different way than when your shoe was on because in the game, the last thing you want is somebody alignment, which you know what happened. If you was a barefoot kicker, to run up and just mush your foot, just step on it, and now you're done for the game. But it's just probably part of his process that he's always used just to get feel, to see where he's kicking it, to feel it on his actual foot versus a shoe that's kind of minimizing some of that sensory contact. But at the end of the day, when it was on the line for the game, he came through. And let's remember, he is coming off of a hip surgery. And I think people minimize what that's like to recover when you're a kicker. And then also, I hate this. I hate when people say, and the announcer said, it's a little chipper. It's a chippy. He should make this. You get out there and kick a 25-yard field goal with the game. <laughs> Call it a chippy. Come on, now. Let's be real. Oh, that's actually, man. That's actually an interesting perspective because, like, the fans, right, we always get this, like, kickers are weirdos. And you know they're not 100% like everyone else on that roster. But a performance like that, be honest with us, though. Game is tight. Doesn't have to be as tight as it is if he would have made one of those three kicks. If you'd have made all three of those three that he missed, then you got the game well in hand. You're a defensive lineman. You're a linebacker. You're an offensive lineman busting your ass all game. What are you really thinking when you're looking at that guy trotting out to try and make the game winner? (laughs) It it all depends on who the kicker is and because of his history and how he handles himself. And I think a lot of this has come with maturity in myself as well, because it's probably a handful of plays where I didn't do my job as well. But because I wasn't the center focus of that play, somebody might have covered me up. It came out okay. And so I think the older I've gotten in the league and I've gotten to know the kickers a little bit better and really understand who they are and why they do what they do. I have a better appreciation because I think when you feel that way, it's at a lack of appreciation of what they're trying to do. Because they're not out there trying to miss kicks. And like I said, I can't go out there and kick a 15-yarder, let alone a 30-yarder. And so, you know, he's a teammate. And so I know what his intentions is. I know how hard he's worked all week. And he's trying to make this kick just like I'm trying to get to the quarterback in a sack. But because he is out there on the island, things are just highlighted. So in that moment, I really love what uh, Will Compton did. Went over there, gave him a hug before it. You saw a former teammate, Malcolm Butler, went over there before the kick. Hey, man, you got this. It's all about confidence and being a great teammate. And so that's how I would have handled it, having confidence, knowing of his history, who he is, and him learning from those other three missed kicks that he had prior to the game. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if it was up to Mike Vrabel, they would have ended that thing with a touchdown. He was praying, and they almost got it on third down. But, yeah, they ended up kicking it and winning, so it's all good. But, O.C., back to what you were saying about the broadcast booth last night, because Monday Night Football was not only trying them out doing NFL for the first time, because Fowler and Herb Street usually do college, so they were doing the NFL football for the first time. And then they also debuted – a new crew for the second game because, you know, last year it was Tessator and Booger McFarlane. They have a new crew now, too. So what did you make of both broadcasts? Well, I love Lewis Riddick. I think that's a long overdue for him to get a prominent spot on game analysis. Levy, I, I think, talks a little too much for a play-by-play guy, but you're really splitting hairs. I, it's a guy who's worked very hard. I think he maybe overprepares a little bit, so he wants to show off how much he knows and how ready he is through those games. Maybe that'll calm down a little bit as he does a few more games. So that crew, I think, had the unenviable task of following up the finest broadcast pairing in football right now. And I know we don't think of it that way because these are college football guys. But Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit have been doing it for a long time. They've been doing it on really the biggest stage in college football. They're the A crew. They're the most watched game in college football every single week. Plus, Herbstreit does – you know, everything else on game day and whatnot. It's a really incredible 
the level of talent that both of those guys have in their respective professions. Better than Michaels and Collinsworth? I mean, I don't love Collinsworth. Michaels is the best. I don't love Collinsworth, but that might just be a taste thing. But I really enjoy Fowler. I think he's got the perfect cadence and pace when it comes to calling games. And Kirk Herbstreet is as prepared, as knowledgeable as anybody out there. And he also has that thing where he's not telling you how that quarterback or that guy or that whoever compares to him and the guy he used to play with. He lets his knowledge speak for itself, not his credentials speak for themselves, which as a broadcaster, I appreciate that more. As a fan listening to a broadcaster, I appreciate that more because you're leaning on, you know, kind of like you're going back to the well. If Zoe's on the game as a color analyst and he's just like, well, when I was in the league, it reminded me of this guy I played with. It's like, cool, we enjoy those stories sometimes, but it doesn't really have anything to do with this game. So I just, I love the Fowler and Herbstreit pairing, maybe more than most people do, but they were phenomenal on NFL. What'd you think, Zoe? I mean, honestly, I don't even listen to the announcers. I mean, I, I kind of zoom out because I'm, I'm looking at the game. So the only time I really hear them, and it's just a negative way I probably perceive announcers, is when they say something that is totally wrong. Like, uh, uh, he should have been on him, and it was really the corner that made the mistake, and now the safety's chasing, and they say he was in, you know, whatever it may have been. It was man, but they think it was cover two, and the safety was out of place. I'm like, nah, it really wasn't. It was cover three single high, and the corner actually busted it. That's the only time I really ever hear what they say. Everything yeah. else is kind of like white noise. Once in a while, I'll listen to like one of their stories or something like that when they're going back and forth. But I just haven't got into listening to what they're saying. And I think a lot of that is because I know the game. And I think their job is, is to kind of explain what's going on. But because I know what's going on, I hear them, but I'm not really blocked in on them. Yeah, I can see how that could get annoying. How was it for you, though? This is probably the what, the first weekend that you haven't been doing some sort of preparation for getting ready either Saturdays or Sunday. Sundays, was it weird? I mean, do you feel relaxed? Are you cool? Were you anxious at all? No, I wasn't. I mean, I woke up Monday morning, felt great, no bruises. Uh, <laughs> hurt, felt yeah, good. you don't miss that, huh? No, not at all. I mean, for me, it was fun to sit back and just watch guys play ball. And I'm a guy that when I played, I didn't like watching football because I watch it all day, every day studying team but now I get to sit back I don't have nothing on the line as far as losing nothing losing my job performing I, I get to be the critic and kind of just hang out and you know call my guys up if I see them especially like with Buffalo I could actually know their calls and know what they're doing hey man you might want to work on this for next week or call my boy up that plays for you know whatever team and be like hey man you was balling out today you know that's fun for me after playing for so long and I don't miss it I'm at peace with my decision and so I wasn't anxious or anything but I wasn't expecting to be like that you know because you just never know how you're going to react with it being your first time going through something new yeah speaking of Buffalo let's talk about your bills that you're so hot on and uh, Mr. Josh Allen they got a win now look there has been nobody since the games have been over and the articles that I've read and obviously I'm paying more attention to this because you and I went back and forth about the Bills in the last cast, so I'm paying attention more to, to Josh Allen. But I can't remember in all of my time watching football, I can't remember different reviews of the same quarterback after a game. Literally like half the articles said that he's garbage and you know the defense saved him and if the Bills are going to advance far in the playoffs, he's going to need to get way better. But then the other half said that he looked phenomenal and they were impressed with his running and his passing. What did you make of your QB? You either love him or hate him. And it's kind of been like that since he's gotten drafted. People were really high on him 
or thought he would be garbage. He has to be able to deal with that. As far as the way, what I saw, I thought he did a great job of managing the game, coming out, makes a big throws, finding guys. His biggest issue was when he was running, he gets a little reckless with the ball. And so he fumbled twice and they lost two fumbles. But those are things that you can overcome when you're not playing an opponent that is on your same level. And so some writers are right. The defense was able to overcome just because the Jets are just not there quite yet as far as an organization or a team compared to what the Bills have to offer. But he did a great job. He missed one throw I saw that was just like, man, what are you doing? When he missed, I believe, John Brown in the back of the end zone, he threw it behind him and John Brown was wide open. Yeah, but other that than play that, specifically I remember. That was bad. I, and so that's what people, if you don't like him, that is what you're going to zoom in on. It's hard for you to see the whole game and seeing how he was making calls, made some adjustments. They were blitzing. He checked and he went to a screen, turned into a touchdown. People don't see the little things like that that he was doing throughout the game to put the team in a position to where they were up 21-0 at one point. And so I thought he had a very productive first game. All the thing he has to really worry about as we continue to move forward in the season is holding on to the football and not turning it over because those are the things that are very hard to overcome, especially later in the year and you're playing better caliber talent. Josh Allen in an interesting position and he's not the only one in the NFL who's facing these kinds of challenges, but as a media, the fan bases, everybody we do this thing where if we feel like a guy was overdrafted or we feel like a guy is overpaid, you are biased against them being successful. You are biased towards looking for some of the flaws. And there's a lot of folks that you go all the way back to the way that he was scouted coming out of Wyoming where he really wasn't all that stellar. And a lot of people felt like he was overdrafted. So that we're looking for a confirmation bias. We're looking for him to play poorly and for us to have more support of him saying like, oh, yeah, this guy, I never believed in him. I was right about him from the beginning. And, and it looks like he's kind of playing his way out from under that in a lot of ways. But there, there's a bunch of people who are in that category. Drew Locke is in that category. Ryan Tannehill, still not quite as young as those guys, but he's still in that category where people have already written him off and want to tell you that he sucks and it's time for you know the next thing. And you're looking for a confirmation bias because – you look at Drew Locke's game, and people did the same thing with that, right? They evaluated, all right, well, how does pro football focus grade his performance? Eh, it wasn't spectacular. The people look at uh, he missed the guy who was wide open. They probably could have scored a touchdown down the sideline late in the game on that one. But he also played well enough to keep them in that game. So there's just a lot of situations where when we're looking at guys who the NFL has treated better than we think they should have with their draft position or with their contract – Fans and media are always looking for a way to tear that down. And I've, I've kind of been on that train with Josh Allen. I was because I watched him a lot in college and I was not impressed. But he's kind of playing his way out of that category for me. Yeah. And I know, Zoe, you remember that attempted when you talked about securing the ball. It made me think about last year's playoff game when he tried to lateral it on the sideline. Now, it didn't cost you guys because you retained the ball. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely got to be better with the ball. And I mean, honestly, I know I was hard on him last week, but. I do see, I mean, he's obviously got a huge arm and his ability to run the ball is what's really, really valuable about him. The fact that he has that possibility, it's just an accuracy thing with me. But anyways, yeah. And, and as you said, the Jets are so garbanzo beans, it's hard to even value or get a gauge on the entire game because I think the Jets are going to be one of the worst teams. But outside of this podcast, I think the game that everybody was looking most forward to was Tampa Brady. Tom Brady and his six Super Bowl rings. People think he's the GOAT. I still think it's Montana. That's because I hate Brady, so I'll never change my answer on that. But he's got the six rings. He 
obviously leaves Bill Belichick and the Patriots, goes down to Tampa Bay. Everybody said about last year about Tampa Bay is that it was all on Jameis Winston. He threw too many picks. And Brady coming in there with those same weapons, Bruce Arians, that you know they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But I want to ask you, because Drew Brees didn't look good in that game either, even though the Saints ended up beating the Bucs. But to you, I'm not sure if you watched the whole thing, but was that more of a byproduct of COVID and this whole season being you know new and guys not being in their routine or getting as many reps together as they would and preseason not being around or did they just look old to you no I wouldn't say they looked old I mean they, they just looked out of sync and I think it is a little bit of byproduct of learning a new office for time being in a new system obviously being with a new coach and new teammates there's a lot of communication that goes on and so you know Obviously, I played against Tom, and I'm not a fan from a perspective of him beating me all the time. (laughs) I'm a fan of of who he is as a quarterback and what he brings. And so I'm not going to be quick to write him off because I've seen him look like a human from time to time. And then the next, you know, 15, 16 weeks, he looks back like, you know, where did this dude come from looking like an alien? And so for me, I think the key more so than anything what Tom did was their run game. I believe they only had like 60 or 70 yards rushing. There was nothing really consistent in their run game. And if you think about a Bruce Arians-type offense, everything is based off of play action. It's either shot to check down. And so if your run game isn't working well, there is no play action. The same thing with Tom Brady when he was with New England. These last couple of years, Sony Michelle, James White, that whole crew, they've been able to run the ball very effectively. And they have these counter passes, similar concept, play action, where they get linebackers and people flying up, and then he's able to hit guys over the seam over the middle of the field. And you saw unhealthy Mike Evans trying to be out there as well, which I thought hurt them as well. When you have a hammer as a wide receiver, it's hard to go out there and play dominant. But there was one of Tom's interceptions. He was trying to go to Mike Evans, and it was a counter pass. But, but since they weren't running the ball very well, Demario Davis didn't even bite up. And he was actually playing under Mike Evans very well, and Tom had to put air on that ball, and it sailed on him. And then the, the safety ended up picking the ball off. But people don't really understand. They say, oh, well, Tom must have lost it. Oh, he must have lost it. No, if that run game was working, DeMario would have been flying up. He could have just threw it right over to DeMario's head and put it right on Mike, and it would have never been an issue. And so yeah. it's not just Tom. It's the complimentary football of how their schemes normally work. And so you have to give that time to develop. It was week one, first week, and let's see how it, how it pans out over the next couple of weeks. But what they don't want to do, because they're in the same division as the Saints, that they don't want to fall too far behind. And so this, you know, they have to get it together pretty quickly. And knowing who Tom and B.A. are as people and as competitors, they'll get it right by this next week. I think we get we have metaphors for this. We have comparables in other sports. And there's not always a lot of crossover between what you see in football, especially professional football, and what you're getting in baseball or the NBA or whatever else. But, like, this, it, it feels like there's a natural level of growing pains when you try and assemble one of these super teams, Right. When you get a bunch of talent that hasn't played together before, or even talent that has played together, as he and Gronk have, but they haven't been coached by the same people uh, that they're under now, that communication thing, that chemistry thing ends up being important, and it takes a little while for people to really hit their stride. A football team is the sum of its parts, right? It's greater than the sum of its parts. You can't just find, okay, I'm going to get the best at every position, and I'm going to plug them all in, and that's going to be the final product that I'm looking for. There's got to be cohesiveness. Everyone's got to know their role, all that good stuff. And honestly, if I'm a Tampa fan, and I don't know how many of those exist outside of the state of Florida, (laughs) if I'm a Tampa fan, I probably wished I would have seen like this beautiful breakout performance. But for the long-term perspective, this is perfect because 
Tom Brady has a little bit of that Michael Jordan thing in him where he's got to invent motivations and he's got to invent enemies in his head. And that's what's got to like keep that fire lit as he's 43 years old. He has that now because after week one, everyone's talking about Tom unsuccessful debut division game, two interceptions. Is he washed up? Now he's going to go out and prove he's not for 15 weeks. Yeah. The one that really stuck out to me, and this is crazy. He's thrown a pick six in his last three games. And I think the only other quarterbacks to do that, it was Matt Schaub and (laughs) no, no, not Peterman, Matt Schaub. Oh, and Blake Bortles. Anyways, the, on the pick six one, obviously the DB broke on the out route, but that's the one where it looked like that's where I was kind of questioning the arm strength and wondering if he looked washed. But then I remembered a couple years ago, there was a Monday night game and the chiefs beat the dog piss out of the Patriots, and everybody was writing him off there, and he ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. So I won't say he's finished until I get 100% confirmation that he's finished. Yeah, I mean, most quarterbacks can't make that throw anyway. I mean, it's a few and far between that's going to make it from the opposite hash. I'm out, and he threw it late, and he threw it behind the receiver. He did a lot of things wrong on that play. The, the good thing about it is that he's a, he's a guy that can correct it. There's some guys that will do the same exact thing over and over and over again. That won't happen again to him because he throws that from time to time. But normally it's on time, it's where it needs to be location-wise, and then the DB would have never had a chance on that ball. What were some of the other games that stuck out for you? Obviously, going back to Thursday night, it looks like Mahomes and the champs are picking up where they left off. And if you're Deshaun Watson, you got to be frustrated because that dude's got a special talent. I don't know what Bill O'Brien is doing trying to be the coach and the GM, but he certainly missed DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, that's, and- so that was my game of the week right there. You're talking about uh, Hopkins you know, in Arizona now, so – for them to go on the road, obviously there's no fans in San Fran right now. But for them to go into San Fran and beat those guys, the guys that were in the championship last year, the way they did, especially after they how that game started off, because San Fran was in control of that game. Obviously, a big special teams play turned that game around for the Cardinals to get really get Kyler Murray going. I think he scored a touchdown. He might even scramble for a touchdown right after that block and got him into the game and got their flow offensively going. And for them to come out and win that game was, was huge, especially stopping them defensively at the end of the game when Brian Murphy made two great plays as far as breaking up some uh, balls thrown at his direction because the defense last year for the Cardinals was horrific and lost a lot more games than they won. And so they have a lot of confidence now with the next couple of weeks after that big win against the San Francisco 49ers. That was the game. I mean, I'm a 49ers fan, so that's the game that I was focused on the most, and I was hoping that they would prove that they you know, didn't really miss a stride or that they didn't, they didn't miss a step in the offseason and they'd come out out the gates really hot. And look, I, I was more just impressed. Yeah, the 49ers made some mistakes and there were some troubles for them. We got some unlucky injuries. Guys got banged up and were limited in the game, things like that. But I was more just impressed with Arizona at the end of the day. You got to give credit where it's due. And one of the these little subplots that are always fun to watch in the NFL is guys who get paid in the offseason and guys who were in new places in the offseason, right? We already talked on the last pod about the quarterbacks that were in new spots. Because of those big stories, no one's thinking about Hop, DeAndre Hopkins coming out in a new spot, in a new home, with a young quarterback that's got a you know special talent and that creates problems for defenses and what that combination was going to be like. And against what last year was one of the best defenses in the NFL, he comes out and has a 150-yard game in his debut in an Arizona Cardinals uniform. That is no joke. That's a big deal. And also, Buda Baker, this is going to be less talked about, Buda Baker just became the highest-paid safety in league history, and he ended up 
with a monster game as well. Now, it's not always good when your safety has 15 tackles, but if you know the way that he plays in that scheme, it's not as big of a deal. And I was watching a little bit of those. I wish the 49ers would have won that game, but I was just more impressed with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and what, what that defense could do to a rushing attack that for the 49ers last year buttered their bread all up and down the field. Arizona outrushed the Niners in this game. Yeah, Raheem Mostert only averaged 3.7 on the ground. And actually, I mean, part of last year, obviously, living in the Bay Area, there's Niners fans all around here, right? And they were really excited, as they should have been. They were really confident, as they should have been. But what I always told them before the game, I said, look, man, I could be proven wrong, but there's something about Jimmy G that just makes me think he doesn't quite have enough of it to win. Now, look, much worse quarterbacks have won Super Bowls before, but he missed Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl, and he didn't have a bad game, didn't turn the ball over, quarterback rating over 100, a buck 03, but there's just something about him where I feel like he lacks enough of it to, to get him over the top. I would say Kittle's getting hurt didn't help him at all. I mean, that's his number one receiver outside of, I don't know who was outside. Yeah, Sanders went to the Saints and Debo's hurt. That's what I'm saying. Because I was actually looking at the game, because obviously I'm out here in Phoenix. I wanted to see how Pat P was going to come out, because this is supposed to be his revenge season. You know, he's up for contract this year. Started off bad last year, finished strong. I didn't see him all game, but it was more because they didn't even pass the ball, really, on, on the outside. Everything was to Raheem in the inside, running the ball, which I thought they did a pretty good job with, obviously, with a Shanahan's run scheme. And the Kittles was killing until he got hurt. So check out these numbers. Their leading receiver was their running back, four catches for 95 yards. He hit that one angle route, yeah, on yeah. Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, he had a 76-yarder. But then George Kittle, four for 44. Kyle Jusick, one for 41. Kedrick Bourne, two for 34. Jarek McKinnon, another back, three for 20. Jordan Reed, two for 12. Trent Taylor, two for 12. Tevin Coleman, one for six. And then Pettis got a look, but not a catch. I mean, who the hell even knows half of those guys? They didn't address losing uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Right. They need some real threats on the outside to really help Jimmy G to have confidence. Because you can have guys that are out there, but if I don't have confidence that even if you're covered, if I throw the ball to you, like Hop can be covered. Kyler Murray's going to throw him the ball. Or throw it to Larry Fitzgerald because you know <laughs> those guys going to go up for it. And that's what he has in Kittles. But once he got nicked up with his knee, I don't know how significant it was because he did come back. It just wasn't the same type of um, dominance that he showed in the first two or three possessions when he was, you know, catching everything that Garoppolo was throwing to him. You, you just went through a list. You went through a list of however many guys, 10 guys, 8 guys, 9 guys, however many that was. And aside from George Kittle, none of those guys are receiving threats. <laughs> like, not even the rookie Ayuk was healthy and able to go. Like, it was – and, look, I'm with you. I have questions about whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the guy to put a team over the hump. But <laughs> that is not the game that you judge that based on because of what he had available to him. Now, look, if he's prime Tom Brady, he finds ways around that. We saw Tom Brady do more with less for a good chunk of his career. But we know Jimmy Garoppolo is not Tom Brady, so – like, where does he fit in the spectrum of great quarterbacks? This is not the game to judge that based on. No, and I agree. And Debo was a big guy for him last year, and he was out too. But I just wonder, look, I think Shanahan probably knows he's so good with the run game that Zoe was alluding to that maybe he doesn't need all these flashy wide receivers on the outside because he's just he'll carve you up. But yeah, Kittle going out was a huge blow. Also, I don't know how big that injury is. And then I'm sure it'll look a lot better once Debo gets back. Plus, it wasn't like the Niners got blown out. This was a one score game. 
Yeah, and you forget about the block punt that the Niners gave up. If they don't give that up, I don't know. I think the Niners may win that game. I mean, that was a huge shit. Yeah. I mean, I think up 10 nothing, punting the ball. You know, defense was playing solid at that time. Arizona hadn't gotten to a rhythm. And then they get this block punt and this insurgent of energy, and they go down and score like in, within three or four plays, and that whole momentum just shifted and changed in Arizona's favor. All right. Before we move on from this Niners-Cardinals game, i got to ask, though, you've seen the viral video, Trent Williams in his 49ers debut. That's killing my man Hicks, man. Woo! Killing my man Hicks. You know, I just would have loved I, – I, and I, you know, I get why they're not throwing it, but he's defenseless. We talk about all this – Safety, we're going to let Trent Williams, who was uncovered, have a, <laughs> a 4-7 at 340, just take a just straight beeline to my man and just knock his block off. He hadn't even moved. Higgs didn't even move. He took two pop steps, bam! Yeah, it looked, it looked, it looked like something out of a cartoon. It didn't even look like a football play. It's unfair, man. I, you know, it's hard enough to beat Trent when you're looking at him. <laughs> we have eyes on him. He didn't have a shot, man. That was a pretty, but that's what Trent brings to that Niners offensive line. Just that dog in him. And he's going to take his shots on you. So you always got to have your head on the swivel. And, and look, it feels like if you're in the league long enough that that's going to happen to you at oh. some point, right? So you gave out more of those than you took, but I need to know, like, wh- who's the one or what's the one play, the one you can't get over because, you know, somebody came down and put you on film like that. I don't know. Defensively, has it happened? Maybe, but that's more of a crackback. I think the one that I think about is, um, what is my man's name? I can't even remember his name. I remember number 45 for Pittsburgh. His name will come to me probably later, but on a kickoff, he snuck me. He didn't sneak me. He got me. So it was kickoff. It was a touchback, but he was still running full head of steam, and I was like running at him from an angle. And I used to do this to cats all the time, too, because they're running at you, but I really wasn't going to hit him. And then at the last second, he turned right into me. Boom! I mean, it blew me up. I mean, I, I was concussed. I popped up. I was, but I kind of shuffled back to the sideline and made it back. But 45 for Pittsburgh, I, I'm mad I can't think of his name right now. But uh, He knocked it out of you. He yeah. knocked his name out of you. He called. Uh, yeah, so then the other debut that I think a lot of people were looking forward to, Cam Newton in New England. Unfortunately for me and my Finns, I think this might be another example of the Patriots just not playing a very good team, so it's hard to judge. But he definitely, you could just see the looks on the coaching staff of the Patriots that it was pretty cool and nice. And Cam actually talked about this before the season started. He said something along the lines, it wasn't a shot at Brady, but he said something along the lines of these guys are going to be able to do stuff that they haven't been able to do in the past. I guess probably alluding to Tom Brady being more of a statue and Cam Newton being able to run. But they just the coaching staff just looked excited like they had a new toy. And again, the Dolphins stink, and it wasn't a total blowout. But I think all in all, the Patriots and their fan base will take it 1-0 with Cam as the QB. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to watch this game yet. I got to rewatch it back just to see how it actually looked. But Cam running 14 times is not sustainable because he has to run 14 times, right? He has an injury history, and I like Cam. I mean, I think he's a dynamic player, but as a quarterback, even though he's a big body and he can bully a lot of guys, he can't be your number one threat running the ball like that for the entire season. So, yeah, you can beat Miami doing that, but what happens when you get into a game and you may be down 10 points and you can't control it? You have to show some other parts of your game that's going to allow teams to honor those as well. 
And so right now, it's really just Cam. You know, they have a couple of other guys, but, I mean, they kind of banged up. Edelman's banged up. So it's going to see – I'm interested to see how this progresses over the season because Cam is a great talent, has great ability, but I don't think – just knowing just how fast the game is played and how guys hit, if he can maintain that type of rep count throughout the entire season, or were they just setting it up so now everybody has to defend that? And now moving forward, you have to just game plan for it. They may run it a couple of times, but that's just to keep it in the back of your mind. And now he'll spread the ball out a little bit better. So we'll see how it develops. Cam Newton in real life years is still a very young man, but Cam Newton, because of the injuries that he's had in the NFL, Zoe's exactly right. You cannot ask him to do this even for half of the season, right? If that's your offensive game plan, you're not going to get the same Cam Newton in week eight that you got in week one. And that's no knock on him. That's just the wear and tear that happens. We are past the years of Cam Newton's career where it's sustainable or wise for him to attempt to do this kind of a thing, to expose himself to that kind of risk after injuries, after surgeries, after that kind of stuff. And, and look, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I don't know if we have maybe the, the Washington football team back in the day won a Super Bowl without a guy who had like really the stellar arm that you need. The Ravens with Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl without the stellar arm that you need. But at the end of the day, if you want to win at the highest level in the NFL, the quarterback does it with his arm. It's great to have mobility and options, but the arm talent is what matters for a quarterback. And Cam, we know, has a big arm. It looks like his shoulder's a lot healthier than it was. If you want to keep it that way, you can't run him 14 times a game. Yeah. Well, another guy not making his debut. He's only played for one team, but coming off of a horrific elbow injury. And for a quarterback, I'm guessing that's not very good. But Ben Roethlisberger. They go to New York. Now, New York needs a lot of work. So this could be yet another example of how good was the opponent. But I think it took him a little bit to realize that, oh, I'm back to playing professional live speed football again. But I think there was one particular time where he took a hit and it was kind of like what he needed to get back to being the regular Ben. But what did you make of Roethlisberger and his coming back from injury? Yeah, I mean, I think he got to where he wanted to by the end of the game. But like you said, he came out slow. I mean, a couple of times you see him getting up gingerly because he hasn't played football in a minute. It's been a while. You know, you think about just your regular offseason plus all those games that he missed last year and being an older guy that has to have shocked his body in some sense as far as what he's feeling like today. But even that initial hits, you could just see, because he's used to taking hits, shrugging guys off and throwing it. And it just seemed like he was absorbing them differently than what I've seen in the past. And obviously a lot of that has to do with age, but also just not being out there and having that muscle memory that he's accustomed to having as far as being able to get guys off his body and still throwing the ball down the field. But I think he found his rhythm as the game went on. And so I'm looking forward to seeing him develop as well. But, you know, he has guys around him that he can get the ball to that's going to help him out. Uh, Question for both of you, actually. Real quick, if you're not going to weigh in on the Steelers, I just wanted to say, if Juju Smith was the happiest person on the field last night, then Mike Tomlin was probably number two because – don't forget, this team went 8-8 eight and eight last year with a guy named Duck at quarterback. And so they're probably like, if they have Big Ben instead of that, and he can increase the quarterback play at all, they'll probably go 11-5. and five. Anyways, go ahead, Austin. No, that, that, that is a young, re-energized roster. And Ben actually said that postgame. He said, the only reason I came back was to play with these guys. So, I mean, he's in that point in his career. He's got all the money he'll ever need for multiple generations of his family. 
two he's Super got, Bowls. He have anything left to prove, really, uh, being a guy who's already won it. And so he's in that position where he gets to sit back in an offseason and look and see what's this team going to be next year. Is this a team I want to be part of? And he saw what, what Pittsburgh did in their last couple of drafts and what they did in the offseason. He said, yes, this is absolutely a team that I want to come back and play with. He, I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's re-energized because he, he gets to be kind of the old, crusty guy on a team full of a bunch of dudes who can fly around successfully. And, I, I mean, so obviously none of us have ever been in that kind of role, but that, that's got to be fun when you're a guy who's a little bit more advanced in his career to see – quality young teammates come in and know that you can benefit from their skills. Right. And then also go out on your own terms. But yeah, to your point, yeah, you know, that was one of the things that was hard to walk away from the Bills because you see all this young talent and where they can possibly go. And you want to be a part of that, that maceration process and obviously be able to interject your wisdom and pass it along and pay it forward. Probably played, you know, a big reason why he wanted to come out in addition to him wanting to go out on his own terms and not being injured. Now let's move on to America's team. In a game where Mike McCarthy's making his debut for the Cowboys, Jason Garrett having been there, whatever, 15 years and, you know, just couldn't get him over the hump. So they bring in McCarthy. And I almost feel like when it was, first of all, I didn't think it was going to come down to this because there was so much time left on the clock. But I almost felt like McCarthy purposely went for it on fourth when he had a, I know you hate it when people call it that, but a chip shot field goal instead of kicking that. He decides to go for it on fourth. And part of me almost feels like he did it to like let everybody know there's a new sheriff in town because Garrett would have never done that. But McCarthy goes for it and it ends up not working out. They lose 20 to 17 to the Rams. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard. And you think the reason why they got Garrett out of there is just because the offense wasn't explosive enough and kind of just playing it safe. And they look very similar. They didn't. They look like they weren't hitting on all cylinders, especially when you think about, you know, Zeke, Judy, Mari Cooper. You think they would have been a lot more explosive on offense. Dak didn't look too comfortable. But again, you are playing Aaron Donald, who was in his grill all game. But yeah, it just never felt like they got into a true offensive rhythm. And then when they did have a shot to make the big play at the end, the refs kind of, you know, I, and I'm a defensive guy. I don't think it was P.I., but, you know, that kind of that obviously took the game away from as far as being able to maybe possibly tie it up. Cowboys are in for a world of hurt this year if they can't get Leighton Vander Esch back healthy. That's a big loss. I know a broken collarbone is in a whole season long kind of thing, but that that guy's important in that defense. And I love the young guys that they drafted and the Francis Bernard who might get called up to replace Leighton from the uh, practice squad. That's He's a Utah guy, so I want to see him be successful. But that's one of the best young linebackers in the game. That's a signal caller on defense for you, and that guy goes down. That's tough to try and replace on a team that felt like they had really good things happening for them from a talent perspective this year. I, I never get mad about the Cowboys. I'm a Niners fan, so I never get mad about the Cowboys having a struggle. But – that that's a team that could have been a major factor this year if they can keep everyone healthy. So to see week one them already having problems, that's disappointing if you're in the state of Texas right now. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's why you have Jalen Smith is, is obviously very dominant. So you'll have to have him like he had to step in and, and be the signal caller in years past. So have him step in and have the young boy play side of him and he don't have to really think too much. Just get out there. Be where you need to be, fly around and make some plays, and hopefully you can grow into a role. So I'm, I'm actually – I like to see how teams adapt to adversity because that's where you really see the signs of a good football team. Yeah, no doubt. And we all know going 0-2 is not good for your playoff chances. But let's go to the most bizarre game of the week for me. And so please tell me if you've ever been in – I'm sure you've been in multiple situations like this. But this game was 17 to nothing. Philly oh, yeah. over – 
and I'll never get used to this, the Washington football team. Can they hurry up and already pick a mascot already? I hate every time I see it, it annoys me. But anyways, <laughs> Philly. Hey, hey, is, hey, it's the Washington football team established 1932. That's what's written <laughs> in the end zone. You give them the full <laughs> sentence, all right? Well then, well, then make them the Washington 32s. Anyways. They're down 17 to nothing to Philly. And this is like, first of all, it wasn't a game that I really wanted to watch anyway. But it definitely, when I saw 17 nothing, there was no way I was going to put this on my Sunday ticket. I, I have two TVs, but that wasn't going to be one of my two games. And then the next thing I know, I swear, I wasn't getting updates on it in the Red Zone channel, nothing. But I just look up and Washington scores 27 straight. And Phil, that's got to be a bad loss for Philly because I don't think Washington's going to have many wins on the season. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It was a bad loss for Philly. I mean, when you, if you go back and watch the game, which you probably won't because just how sloppy it was, <laughs> Washington, Washington couldn't get anything going. Offensively, I don't, Haskins was inaccurate. They might have been one for like seven or eight, you know, on third downs. It was just Hector Skelter, and Philly was taking advantage of it, 17-0. Luckily, you can still win a game if your defense is able to create some turnovers. And they was able to get Winston throw two picks, one fumble, and they put him in a very advantageous field position, and Washington was able to create some yards, but they had short fields. But it wasn't a game where you say, ooh, Washington just got it together. They were just really good. Philly just kind of fell apart and pretty much just handed the game over to him. But it wasn't it wasn't like, okay, I see him. I see him getting on the same page. It just was a very sloppy game when I when I went back and watched it. Washington is not the kind of team that's so firmly established that they're going to be completely unaltered when their coach, their head coach, suddenly is off the sideline with a little health issue, getting an IV or whatever. Ron Rivera, we haven't talked about this enough. Ron Rivera, since taking over the position in Washington, has had to deal with more bullshit than the <laughs> NFL head coach in yeah. so long, right? You got right after he gets that job, you've got sponsors demanding that the name be changed. So you're stripping down the brand that you attach yourself to. You've got the reports of sexual misconduct all through the entire organization. Stuff that you yourself were never a part of. And most of the players on your team obviously were completely separate from. And you have to answer for that when you talk to the media. Ron Rivera trying to put, oh, by the way, COVID's going on. You got to make sure that you're developing guys. You got to make sure that you're fielding the right kind of a team. You got a young quarterback who now doesn't have the same preparation and reps with his teammates. You got to do all of this while you're in your first year establishing a culture with no chance to start fresh. And even in week one, physically, your body's so worn down. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever the case is, that you got to get an IV. It is a disastrous start for Ron Rivera. I'm glad they got the win just for his sake. That's what made it, uh, I think, special, right? You know, because of all the adversity. That's what made it even bigger than what it actually, I think, was when you actually watched the game back because of all the adversity. And having been a part of that organization at one point in time, dealing with adversity, different issues, but just having stuff that didn't have to do with football that you had to overcome, we never were able to do that. So hopefully the culture and the things that he's starting to develop from an organizational standpoint will allow them to be able to rise above all the other stuff and allow them to win games when they're in that place. And I think also another thing that helped them was there was no crowd there because if the crowd was because they were at home in the first quarter and a half, I guarantee you just knowing the organization and the fans with everything else around the organization right now, they would have been getting booed. And that would have played a, a big time on their psyche as far as if they were going to be able to overcome that. And so in this case, you know, not having been having fans, there, I think really helped them and, and they were able to come together. 
and really take advantage of some of the things that Philly did to him as far as giving him some interceptions and some turnovers. Well, that leads me to the next thing. You just did a perfect segue for me saying booed because I do want to talk about this. We've talked a lot about the on the field stuff, but what did you make? First of all, I think it got off to obviously a horrific start on Thursday when the fans in Missouri, which I can't believe they weren't in a better mood after getting their Super Bowl banner, but the booing and you could hear it palpably. Now they did something to turn it off because it went away after a while, but you know, the fans didn't stop booing. And now there's all these articles coming out about ratings are down because people are like protesting against the NFL because they are doing some displays of fighting against social injustice. So I just wanted to know what you made of how the NFL handled it, because I don't think it was nearly as overt as what baseball and what basketball has done. I mean, yes, there was some stuff, but it wasn't like it was so hardcore on that end. And for the people booing, it's like, even if you don't support it or whatever, or, you know, you don't support the cause or whatever, you can stand there and be peaceful about it. You don't have to boo. I thought that was just a really bad look. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you thought the NFL handled it. I mean, I'm, honestly, I haven't really gave it too much thought because at this point, people are kind of in their corners. That particular event took place, I think, after the national anthem was even played, this was just a moment of unity. The teams actually stripped away all the other stuff that you can kind of, you know, try to overlap and say it's about the flag or it's about the military. They removed all that and said, we're coming together and standing for unity and stood there hooking arms. And then you got the booze, right? And so for me, that just tells me people just have a preconceived notion of, of what it means when people are doing that. And they have their opinions as far as what side they're on. And you either left or right. And you can't feel like you got to be in the middle. You feel like you got to pick a side. And that doesn't mean that everybody there was booing, but it was enough of them to boo that you could hear it. And so I haven't really given a lot of thought because we've been seeing this same type of action over, I mean, highlighted really over the last four or five months in our country. So I haven't even given a lot of energy and just kind of staying in my lane and trying to figure out how I can continue to create change. Because, yeah, we're bringing awareness. We have, we're aware about it. Now I'm trying to do practical things in the community to create change. So I'm not really worried about if you're going to boo. If you boo, cool, I'm going to still do me. I mean, Zoe hit it on the head. The people have, <laughs> people have dug in on their position on what they think kneeling means, what interlocking arm means, what players are asking for, what professional athletes and celebrities should be saying versus what they should not be saying. Like everyone has formed opinions on this for the most part. And if you're the person who's booing, we know you're expressing yourself quite clearly. What you have a problem with professional athletes basically asking for anything. You think that these guys get million dollar salaries, they get treated well, they get hero worship and all that stuff, and that's all a person needs. And if you are completely ignorant to the idea that people want to use their platform to try and support uh, social justice reform and want to protest police brutality and you think that's an inappropriate place no one's going to change your mind now we've been having yeah. this conversation for five years yeah i was at one of my best friends in the whole world i was at their house right kids are all playing all together having fun i was like hey let's turn on the sunday night game he's like i'm not watching the nfl this year i said what why are you not watching the nfl this year Oh, uh, these, these flag protests and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, look, this is a smart, this is an intelligent individual. This is the kind of guy he'd give you the shirt off his back. Nice person, wonderful person. And I said, why do you care if someone's kneeling during the national anthem? Do you know what they are asking you to think? Do you know what the reason? They've told us for five years what this is about. 
So can you articulate to me the reason why those players are kneeling and why it upsets you? And he couldn't do it. So that's willful ignorance. And this is it. Look, this is someone I love. This is a dude I would kill for. But I'm just like, what are you doing? You are deliberately saying, I don't care about this cause because I'm a white dude in Utah. I don't have a bunch of black friends. It doesn't affect my community. So I'm going to create a judgment based on Fox News, which I watch all the time. It's bananas. If you're still in that place, you are choosing to be in that place and not to listen anymore. And that's fine. I'm with Zoe. Like, I will still treat you well. I will be respectful to you. I will hope that someday something wakes you up. But at this point, it's just, to me, it makes no sense. If I was on the NFL sideline, I would not be kneeling during the national anthem. And there's a lot of guys of every color who do not kneel during the national anthem. Derrick Henry, last night, was standing with his hand over his heart. And he's the kind of guy, he wears black power t-shirts walking into the stadium, but he was standing and saluting the flag. So are we okay with him? Or are you mad at him still because he wore the t-shirt? If it's me on one of those teams, I'm listening to the conversations. I'm telling my teammates, look, man, the national anthem has meant this to me for my whole life. I'm going to stand with my hand over my heart. I'm going to sing. But it doesn't mean that I support police killing you. Or it doesn't mean that I hope that you have to get harassed. And I hope that those conversations are happening. And it feels like in the NFL and the NBA and places like that, they are. So if we can get that to help us in society have those conversations, great. Yeah, it's amazing how many conversations slash arguments I've had where the end of it ends with the other person not giving an explanation for something. Just like, that's just how I feel. That's just how I feel. Like, I usually explain my stuff. I'm not always right. I'll I'll tell you when I'm wrong. I'll also tell you sometimes if they'll be like, why are you doing that? Or why'd you do that? Or whatever. I'll just be like, because I'm a dumbass. At the time, I thought that was the right thing to do. I'm just, but I can at least explain it. But a lot of people will just sit there and just go, don't have a reason for you. What am I supposed to do with that? If you just, if you just don't have an explanation or a reason, there's nothing I can, so then I just laugh and just move on because there's no point to talk about it. But it's just like, that news anchor who told LeBron just shut up and dribble. There are so many people that just think that do your job. You're getting paid. Just do your job. Don't bring anything else into it. But where I thought it was going to shift, because I think we can generally assume where the commissioner lies based on how he dealt with Kaepernick and, you know, Kaepernick basically getting blackballed. But since all this stuff has gone down, as you said, Zoe gotten heightened over the last five, five or six months, he came out and said, I was wrong. And so I would have thought that would have shifted a lot of people's thoughts. But clearly, as we saw in Missouri, it did not. No, not at all. Like I said, people are entrenched. And and it takes a big individual for it to come out. And I haven't traditionally been a fan of Roger. But over the years, getting to know him a little bit better and and seeing some of those things, I've softened towards him. But it takes a big man and a big woman to admit that they were wrong. Oh, now I get it. You know, and, and hopefully it's from a genuine place. And I have no reason to think that it's not. But you can change your mind. People feel like you can't change your mind. You can change your mind. Once yeah. you've been educated, you can change. You can mature. <laughs> yeah. grow. I can guarantee you that I'm not the same, you know, you said dumbass at, at when I was 19 than I yeah. am now at 38. I have grown and changed. And it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. It's yeah. so stuck in their ways. Like, man, you can grow. There's nothing wrong with it. If you get something, learn something new. Oh, okay. Let that me... changed my opinion. Yeah, yeah but people don't change their opinion. <laughs> and some of the stuff is just black or white. There is no gray. That stuff just boggles my mind. So that's why I don't even waste my time with that type of energy. I just yeah. say my yeah. piece, 
All right. Okay, cool. I'm going to keep doing me. You do you. And that's all, that's all you really can do. All you can do is really plant the seed with some individuals. Yeah, my dad, God rest his soul, used to, he'd pull his head out because he'd go to all these meetings. And this was like for forestry work up in Healdsburg. And like he would go on these committees and he'd be trying to plan all this stuff. And he'd come home and he'd be ripping his hair out because he's so mad or whatever. And then he's like, I'll never forget this. He came up to me, he said, son, you know what it's like? And he took a piece of white computer paper and he held it up to his face. He said, dealing with this people is like me walking in there and going, what is the color of this piece of paper? Yeah. And then and then telling me red. Yeah. No, this is a white piece of paper. And then yeah. no, that's red. But anyway, that's you how it goes. You know what the other best part about it is it for me? And again, this is all only personal experience. So I don't pretend that there's nobody in the military or whatever that has a problem with this form of protest. But I I have a lot of friends who have served. Uh I've trained with a lot of guys who are like SEALs army rangers like really high level like the kind of dudes that you look at and say that's an american military hero i only know one of them that has a problem with people kneeling during the anthem so like the people who get mad about this about the disrespect of the flag and and like how dare you like very few of them that i know or that i have had conversations with are people who have actually taken up arms and gone overseas and served to protect the freedoms right it's all a bunch of like truckers and mailmen. Yeah, yeah. And like, the people accounts. not in the military are, are more offended by it than the people that actually right. serve. There's like, how dare yeah. you disrespect our troops? And yeah. like, the troops, at least... Troops the like, troops it's all I, good. <laughs> the troops that I know are just like, I mean, maybe it's kind of annoying, but at the end of the day, I've had good. bullets flying over my head, so this is not something that really gets me too worked up. Right. You know? It's yeah. wild, man. And we're still having this conversation for four and a half years if there's anything that's going to change your mind it should have done so over the last four and a half years if it hasn't by now that's okay let's shake hands let's be friends and let's just agree to disagree yeah well let's end on a light note and this can't get any lighter than this by the way is it daniel house i know it's not but he spelled i think daniel house spells his name d-a-n-u-e-l i keep thinking it's a misprint it's not okay that's a weird way to say Daniel. it's like it's like it's like Dwayne wade's name it's like it's spelled really funky. It's his name is spelled Duyane, Duyane, yeah, but we true. call him Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Like it's just funky spelling. Well, I'm gonna call him Daniel. So Daniel House <laughs> wife has come out. I'm sure you guys know the story. He plays for the Rockets. He was actually a pretty pretty big piece for the Rockets. I don't think it had any I think the Lakers still would have taken care of business. But he gets caught in the bubble with an IG model and gets sent home. And now the wife has come out and put something on her Instagram story. You reap what you sow, took down every single picture that they had. Now, Zoe, I'm not going to ask for any names, but in, in all your time in the league, how often did you see guys do dumb stuff like this? I, well, I mean, it's, it's all dumb, right? If you're cheating on your wife, it's dumb. I've Fact. seen guys do that, though. You know, you know, you're out at the club or whatnot, especially when I was younger and I used to kind of hang with those crowds. You know, they have different chicks on their arms and stuff like that. Never on the road, really, though. Maybe once. But I didn't, he just snuck out when we were in New York to go do his thing. And we actually had a game the next day. He got caught and didn't, couldn't play the next day. But that's neither here nor there. It, ha- it happens. But I would say that is the minority of group because most guys are single. And the guys that are married for the most part, outside of, you know, maybe a couple of guys are faithful dudes. You know, their wife is most likely even with them, you know, especially if you have a younger couple 
we used to always go out together as a, as, as a group. Well, I mean, for me, the I mean, look, cheating on your wife, very, very stupid. But stupider than that is when I used to hoop, guys would break curfew or whatever and do dumb stuff. And it's always just like, it's never worth it. Like, he could have done that cheating after the season was over and he got back home. And, you know, maybe he still gets caught, but maybe it's not like all over the internet and embarrassing your wife. But I was just thinking, what a plane ride home that must have been. They tell you in Florida, kick rocks. And now you got to go back to your wife who just found out publicly that you were cheating. I mean, just dumb stuff like that. I mean, I, I know guys do it. But for me, my question is always, why did it have to be right there? He didn't have to see that girl right then. He could have seen her at any other time. So it's like when guys break curfew, it's like, you want to go to the club? We can go to the club tomorrow. We just can't go tonight. Like, just don't break the rules. And it's these young cats, man, you know, 27, you know. Yeah. They ain't telling on themselves, man. It ain't, it ain't like what it used to be. Do things in the secret and, you know, you have to work to catch me. <laughs> you, know, you have to work. Yeah. Now these people, they I, post it. Hey, let's just let's post us together or whatever. Let's do something. Hey, just come into the bubble. Like, no telling on themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's got to be a Venn diagram, right, of how there's the, there was this time where access to this a random model in Florida or whatever was probably relatively difficult, even if you were an NBA player. And then because of social media and whatnot, that got a lot easier. All, all people got to do now is Tinder or slide into the DMs or whatever else. Like all of this is more accessible to prominent people, whether they be men or women, athletes or celebrities or whatever. It's all more accessible than it ever was. But there's a double-edged sword kind of element here where it's so accessible, but because of that same stuff that it's on your handheld device that you can just call up whoever – you can't keep secrets anymore. So if you're doing this and you sit down for five minutes and you think about it, there's no way in hell you can keep this secret. It's the just same, not possible anymore. Yeah, the same technology that makes it easier to cheat makes it easier to get caught cheating. Because like exactly. nowadays, like I've seen guys get caught up because everything has a stamp on it, right? Everything's got a code. Plus now people are like screenshotting stuff. So even if you erase it, it's too late. But like guys getting messed up for like liking photos of another girl because the girl can see that you like the photo or just whatever. Yeah, guys getting caught up with their phones. But yeah, I mean, you, you have to factor that in. It might be easier for me to cheat, but it's also easier for me to get caught cheating. It's like those experiments. You ever seen those psychological experiments where they, they put kids in a room with like a cookie jar and they're just like, hey, don't have a cookie and they just yeah, wait. Yeah. They, they watch on camera and they see how <laughs> leave they, the room yeah like like daniel house he's the dude that as soon as the he's cookie monster right like that's that's where he's at there's a whole spectrum and yeah, he's yeah. the dude that breaks the cookie jar open immediately and that's you reap what you sow it's tough uh i i do not envy these young people who have all that kind of temptation in their careers and whatnot. Not cool to be doing it. Not cool to be stepping out. But, man, to be a fly on the wall when he had that conversation back at home, that would be – that's, that's the reality. Why you'd be smart like me and you wait till you're 36 to settle down because I wasn't able to do that. I would have been the same kid in the cookie jar taking it right as they shut the door. That's why you wait to get married. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, gentlemen, for Lorenzo Alexander and Sean O'Connell, I am Zachariah. This has been – Two Z's and OC until next week, gentlemen. Holla. All right. All right, fellas. Good shit.